This is The Space Shot, episode 143, for October 4th, 2017. Sputnik and Space Law. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Molnix. A few weeks ago, I sat down for a remote interview with Michael Listener about Sputnik and Space Law. Today's episode is the first in a regular series of interviews I'm going to be doing with people in the space community. Michael was gracious enough to lend me his time on a Sunday morning, and I appreciate him taking the time to do that. Now, without any further delay, let's get to that conversation. All right, good morning, everyone. I am talking with Michael Listener. He is the author of The Proceed. And I am going to be talking with him today about some space history and policy. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. It's good to be here. So if you could just go ahead and tell my listeners a little bit about you. Well, a little bit about me. I am I'm an attorney here in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, one of my areas of practice is international space law and policy. I'm considered, for, for lack of better terms, an authority on, on the topic uh, that Depends on who you talk to, I suppose. Uh, I also author a quarterly briefing letter called The Pressy, which basically is a, a, a letter, a, a subscription letter I send out to people that covers what I think are the hot topics in uh, space law and policy, both domestic and all over the world, that people should be aware of and, you know, do some analysis. So, and that's something I offer to people. Um, regardless of who they are or what they do for a living. Um, Bottom line is I've been in this, actually been in the space law and policy business for, oh, since 2011. Uh, And yeah, it's a a very interesting field. It's a growing field. And it's it's something that's actually, we could actually call a area of law that is being pioneered. Which is very cool. Yes, it is. Interesting to be on the forefront of the space law final frontier. Uh, yeah, for, you have to use that old uh, that old Star Trek gadget. I think that's um, I think that's appropriate. Very good, very good. So we're coming up on the 60th anniversary of the launch of Sputnik, which kind of ushered in this whole new final frontier for law. So we were going to talk a little bit today about how that affected space law. So if you want to just kind of give people a primer on how Sputnik basically gave us our current legal environment. Well, I think, you know, when we talk about Sputnik, we talk about, you know, Cold War. We were talking really at a very tough time during the Cold War. In fact, what was probably the beginning of the Cold War during the Eisenhower administration. And everybody had a lot of theories about space and the legalities of space and what you could do and what you couldn't do. And up until that time, uh, the Soviet Union had made a claim that, you know, that basically... Their sovereignty extended from the, their territory, their sovereignty extended from the ground all the way up right into space, which is, which is a pretty bold comment. And then they, then they launched Sputnik 1 on October 4th in 1957, and things changed because all of a sudden Sputnik was traversing over other, other uh, quote, territories of nations. And under their theory of territory, they were basically violating sovereign territory. So... They, they, were, they were kind of in a conundrum. They, they had to backtrack that a little bit and admit that, admit that no, this, you know, we, don't, we don't own the space above countries. It's basically open access, almost like the oceans. And, in fact, the Eisenhower administration, you know, was a little bit upset, you know, that 
the Russian, the Soviets to launch the first artificial satellite. But then they sat back and thought, you know what? They actually did us a favor because what they what they did was they ushered in space law, not not from a theoretical standpoint, but from a practical standpoint. They would they create what we call a customary norm of international law, that being the free access. So I always say, and and a lot of my colleagues get very upset about this, is that you know the the signing of the Outer Space Treaty, which will be in force six, uh, 50 years October 12th. That wasn't the beginning of space law. It began October 4th, 1957, when the Soviets launched Sputnik. So there's a little bit of con- there's a little bit of controversy there, but that's kind of my position. Okay, I think that's I think that's fair enough. So what we're seeing in the last you know 60 years now is we've gone from countries being able to launch into space now to companies. So could you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how that's kind of changing the environment? Or are those companies going to be held to like the same norms that a country would be held to? Well, believe it or not, the whole idea of commercial space really didn't begin in the in the past few years. It actually began with the Eisenhower administration, and they were they had a very interesting look on it, where they basically gave AT and T and Bell Labs a blessing and said, "Look, we're going we're, we're going to give you the nod to go ahead and launch a, a, a communication satellite," and they did called Telstar One and Telstar Two. Now, AT&T Bell Labs, they financed the, constru- the development, the construction, and they even paid NASA to launch it. So really, they ushered in commercial space. It wasn't until the Kennedy administration came in that they basically shifted away from that policy and got more to a government-centric type of space. So starting with the Reagan administration, again, we're really starting to get back to what we call commercial space. Mm-hmm. But the idea is the Outer Space Treaty is this very is this document, and you, you know, depending on who you talk to, his big argument is a document of principles or a document of norms or a document of legal obligations. I mean, I think it's really a, an amalgamation of every of, of all that. But bottom line is, is it's purposely ambiguous. And one of the things the United States did was in 1976 during this thing called the Bogota Declaration, where basically a bunch of countries got back and pushed back against the equatorial countries who were claiming basically uh, geosynchronous orbit as their territory. The United States basically came out and said, we're going to very liberally interpret the Outer Space Treaty to, you know, encompass commercial activities for, for our companies. So that policy has been in place since, ni- since 1976. It just hasn't really taken active steps until the Reagan administration came in and ushered in a national, new national space policy and moved forward. So we're, we are shifting away from government-centric activities to to private activities, but you know, government's always going to have a role, and that's changing how the, how the outer space treaty is looked at. And I think one of the biggest uh, examples is the whole idea with, with uh, mining asteroids and, and space resource rights. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that is basically a United States effort, and now Luxembourg's they they've they've, they've signed a, a, a actually some more more uh, intricate law dealing with the subject, which is basically a posture of the rest of the international community. Based on our law, this is how we're interpreting the Outer Space Treaty. Interesting. Yeah. So what what do you see the next 10, 15 years looking like for, you know, governments and commercial entities working together? There's people that saying, like, oh, SpaceX is racing NASA to the moon. Like, what would you say to that? I'm saying they're not racing anybody to the moon, to the moon, or to or to Mars or anything like that. Bottom line is, it's always there's going to there's going to be they're going to work together. They're going to you know there's going to be going to see a lot of public-private partnerships uh, because basically you know the privates are right now commercial space a lot bulk of the a bulk of their 
funding and bulk of their their actual revenue comes from doing government missions just under the commercial guise. Yep. So I think I think you're going to see them partners more in the future. With with uh, you know less, less emphasis on you know Apollo type moments, but more working together with private companies. And I, I honestly I foresee a Mars mission actually being a cooperative effort between private and 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 government uh, resources together. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> um, so what's something that you wish more people would know about um, for like just space law, like a misconception that people hold? Um, well, it's. It is probably it's something that affects our everyday lives, but we just don't know it. Um, I, and here in New Hampshire, I get that a lot when I tell people what you know. One of one of my areas of practice are they I get a very curious look and saying, "What what are you talking about?" And the first thing I think of is science fiction. I'm saying, "No," I, and I make it simple for them. Do you have cable TV or satellite TV? And I said, yeah. "Yes." I said, "Well, there's space law in action right there. You just don't see it. It's all it's all in the background." Uh, and, and it really op- and it operates in the background a lot more in our lines. We have, we have cell phones that have GPS-capable uh, receivers in them. We have GPS in our cars. Our credit card transactions more and more are dependent on satellite communications to go through. So it really affects the laws affect, uh, permit a lot of activities and a lot of capabilities that make our everyday lives more, quote, convenient. Uh, but it operates such in the background that we don't even notice it. And that's one of the things I try and emphasize on people. This is something that's operating in the background without you even knowing it. It's almost like an operating system, you know, yeah. like Windows or, or Mac. We, we do all this thing, but, you know, and we take, we, we take it for granted, but there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes to make that possible. And space law is just like that. That's a great analogy. I've never thought of it that way. Really like that. So one other thing I want to talk about, um, National Space Council. Where do you think mm-hmm. that is going to be in the, you know, the, the basically the last three years of the first term of Trump's administration? Well, the National Space Council has not been treated well by, by the other presidents that actually had it at its disposal. I am hopeful, and based on what I've seen so far about people who are going to be appointed to it, that it's going to, that, that the president will take advantage of it and actually use it to, to basically harmonize uh, space policy in the United States. And what do I mean by harmonized? I mean, we have three basic sec- sectors now of space activities in the U.S. We have national security interests, and that, that deals with communications, military, intelligence gathering, and such. We have commercial, which is basically the new pro- which is basically a mixture of, you know, communication satellites that we take for granted right now, like Intelsat and SES, and other companies, and the new and the new players in towns like the SpaceX's, the, uh, the orbital ATKs, and the rest of them. And we also have civil, which is NASA, government government sponsored space programs, you know, government uh, space programs in general. I'm looking to see. That hopefully, the National Space Council will be a force to bring all of those together at the table and harmonize space policy so that each feeds off the other and actually gives us a coherent space policy so not only do we have this to show for ourselves but also take some leadership in the world as well in terms of you know shaping space law and space policy that's my hope and based on based on people that i've talked to and i know i know one individual who's actually a staff member um, on the National Space Council, and he's a very credible person. Uh, I'm I'm hopeful that the president takes full advantage of it because it really stops ends and stop, uh, ends with the president on whether or not he take takes this seriously and really uses it as a tool instead of just window dressing. Very good. Yeah, that would be a fantastic tool for not only us but for the rest of the planet. So that'd be pretty awesome. So 
my podcast, I like to talk about sci-fi and pop culture. Any favorite Star Treks or sci-fi shows? Yes, and when I, uh, well, basically, I am I'm a huge Star Trek fan okay. of the original series, definitely, and definitely Voyager. I try and I turn off the space lawyer brain <laughs> when I watch them, and I try not to drag it into my work. Um, everybody gets excited about The Martian, you know, uh, Andy Weir. I was in the theater, and I was very... I was upset because, you know, because of the space, you know, it's like, I was just thinking, you know what, if you're going to do the space law thing, let's get it right. And I actually wrote a blog post about it uh, afterwards. And now that I think about it, it's like, you know what, I probably should have just turned off my, my, my space lawyer brain when I went in and did it. But I didn't. So uh, damage done. I The problem is when, is when I have science fiction writers coming in and testifying in front of Congress, you know, uh, congressional committees and actually shaping policy because they are not policymakers they're not lawyer they're not space lawyers or lawyer international lawyers for that matter they are science fiction writers and they're entertainers so i really don't and, and that really gives me some pause when science fiction has its place for entertainment and maybe for a little bit of vision but when you deal with reality you got to you got to you got to turn off your, your your fiction brain and turn on your reality brain and look at the world as it is not the way you think it should be i couldn't have said it better that's fantastic so, any thoughts on Discovery airing? Well, at the time of this recording, later tonight. Um, oh yeah, I, well, I have, I have it on my DVR. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful it's better than uh, what is it? The uh, what's that one on Fox there? That the new Orville. one. The Orville. Yeah, I got in about <laughs> ten minutes of it and changed the channel, so um, I wasn't too impressed with it. But it wasn't. It was. It's supposed to be satirical anyways yeah we'll see what happens uh i try not to take my star trek too seriously but you know i always go back to the original series and you know as as cheesy as the special effects were um it was still a good show good plot lines and you just can't beat the original oh stories about humanity you can't really go wrong with that Right, exactly. I mean, it, it was it was it was it was it was definitely groundbreaking at its time, you know, and it brought a lot of interesting th- things into the mix. Um, it was it, it, it was well, it was entertaining for lack of a better term. It was entertaining for sure, and still for is. Sure. And I'll you know I'll have to link to that blog post that you did on the Martian. Sure, I'll send um, it to you afterwards. Perfect, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll make sure to include it in the show notes for this episode. We had a little bit of audio difficulty at the end there, but I do hope to have Michael back on the show in the future. You can find Michael on Twitter. Search at Ponder, P-O-N-D-E-R 68. I'm linking to the work he does in the show notes, so be sure to check out what he does. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix. I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with The Space Shot on Facebook. Just search The Space Shot on Facebook and it'll take you to the page. Let me know what you think of the show by leaving a rating in iTunes. It takes just a minute to do that, and it makes a huge difference because it helps even more people find the show. I'd also appreciate if you could share the space shot with your friends and family, and anyone else that enjoys podcasts. Tomorrow, Challenger, and some space flight firsts. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.